Production support comes from Smithville Fiber, the GigaCity company, a philanthropic community partner since 1922 and proud supporter of numerous community organizations. More information at smithville.com. And School of Public Health Bloomington, Public Health Reimagined, addressing 21st century health challenges with a multidisciplinary approach to disease prevention, health promotion, and enhancing quality of life publichealth.indiana.edu. Welcome to Noon Edition. I'm Bob Zaltzberg, editor of the Herald Times, along with co-host Sarah Whitmire, the News Bureau Chief for WFIU and WTIU. Today our topic is education, as the Indiana legislature tries to keep damages caused by a new I-STEP test at bay. I-STEP scores from the 2015 averaged uh, test averaged about 20% lower than a year ago. The scores are often linked to teacher bonuses and uh, A through F grades that are assigned to schools. General Assembly has made it a priority to reduce the negative effects on this unusually um, large dip in grades by expediting legislation through the session. This week, we've got uh, three guests that we're going to talk with. Two are in the studio, and one is joining us by phone. Claire McInerney is here. Claire's a reporter with State Impact Indiana, who you hear here on WFIU. Steve Hennefeld is with us. Steve's a blogger and a former education reporter, um, mainly at the Herald Times. And Daniel Altman is joining us by phone for the first half of our program. Daniel is Executive Director of Communications for the Indiana Department of Education. You can ask questions each week by joining our live chat. Chat, um, and um, our live chat is at wfiu.org slash Noon Edition. And, of course, you can also follow us on Twitter at Noon Edition. And we have phone numbers to give you, 812-855-0811 in Bloomington or 1-877-285-9348 outside of the local area. So thanks all for being here. Uh, I want to start the program by, uh, Claire, you've been working a lot on this issue. So if you could just sort of frame the issue for our listeners, you know, why is what, – what happened to ISTEP? Why are the st- scores so bad and what's being done about it? To back up a little bit, when uh, Indiana decided to leave the Common Core, write our own standards, and thus writing our um, – a new assessment that matched those standards um, – That happened last year, and so last testing session from March until May of 2015, uh, the students in Indiana took this new assessment. It was also um, a new format. We had some more technology involved in the questions, and um, it, it was expected that scores would dip. We have seen in states across the nation when they adopted a new assessment, whether it was their own or through a Common Core thing, scores dropped. Um, so this was expected, but leading up to the release of the scores, there was some disagreement on you know how how far they would dip, what whether we should proactively make decisions on what to do or not. So we have seen this 20% drop. Um, and so now the legislature, and, you know, the governor, Republicans, Democrats, it's a, a consensus that we should do something to curb the negative consequences. And so um, ISEP scores are calculated into school A through F grades. Um, so the concern there is a school receiving a D or F um, when maybe they were getting higher grades before, and teacher evaluations, which also can include I-STEP scores. Um, The legislature doesn't want to punish teachers and maybe miss a bonus or something because of these low scores. Mm -hmm. So that's what we're working on now. The the legislature has only been in session two weeks, um, but this bill, these two bills are almost uh, to the governor's desk for passage. So it's moving quickly. All right, so Daniel, from uh, from the state perspective, from your department and from uh, Superintendent Glenda Ritz, um, you know, what needs to happen this session? Well, I think that Claire did a very good job of sort of laying the, cl- the groundwork, but there's one additional thing that I would put in there, and that is that in the summer of 2014, the federal government uh, also announced that states were going to get flexibility with regards to accountability when they transitioned to new assessments. And so when the federal government announced that, that's when the superintendent started talking quite a bit about how we need to take advantage of this flexibility, because... Uh, the ISTEP is more rigorous because our new standards are more rigorous. And anytime you do that, you need to have a transition year. 
So Superintendent Ritz has been talking for a year and a half about the fact that during, we, during this transition year, we need to hold schools harmless. Uh, we need to hold teachers harmless and students and uh, communities as well. When you're talking about A through F grades, they can have a significant effect on economic, economic development within a community. So for the last year and a half, she's been talking about the fact that we need to hold schools harmless and teachers and students and communities. Uh, it's been a welcome change to see that in the last few weeks there's been a lot more momentum uh, behind that idea. It's something that, again, she's supported for a long time. She's been working with legislative leadership to find a solution that, again, holds them harmless while also preserving accountability because accountability is important. And so there are two bills that are moving forward right now that cleared reference. They are moving pretty quickly. Senate Bill 200 is the one that would effectively hold schools harmless for their A through F grade for the 2014-15 year. And then House Bill 1003 is one that would uh, also do uh, take a similar step with respect to teacher evaluations and removing I-step scores from that factor as well for that year. Uh, these are both bills that the superintendent supports. Uh, she's been, again, she's been pushing this for a long time. It's been a welcome development to see other people start to come along in recent weeks. So but this phrase uh, to home hard uh, to uh, hold harmless has been one that that has been um, you know bandied around. So does this mean that you know like on Senate Bill 200, the A through F grade would be thrown out altogether, or what? What if a school actually did better? If the school does better, then they get the, then they do get the better grade, and so that's the that's the idea behind hold harmless is you don't want to stop things entirely because if it's, if a school improved, you want them to be able to have that improvement be recognized. And so you see, you have the possibility of seeing this more, for example, in the case of high schools, which don't, which don't use ICEP for their A through F grade. And so obviously if those schools improve, that's great. And that's something that needs to be, uh, that everyone needs to make certain that they understand it. So that's why what the Hold Harmless will do is effectively take the better of their grades from the last two years, and that's the one that they'll keep. Okay, so, so if you have a school that went from a C to an A, they get the A. Whereas if you have a school that would have dropped from a B down to a C, they get to still keep that B because it's basic fairness that understands that it was a transition year for them, and so they need to they, they deserve to have time to transition to more rigorous academic standards and a more rigorous assessment. Okay, so just uh, to clarify for you know people like me that don't uh, follow it as closely as as all of you do, um, and a lot of our listeners I'm, I'm sure are in the same boat. So, you know, schools like in the MCCSC, the Monroe County Community School Corporation, every school in the corporation went down by anywhere from seven or eight points, percentage points, to 30 percentage points. How would one of those schools, you know, what's, what's in the, the formula that would allow one of those schools to improve their grade? I'll take that. So, for example, we have School X. Last year, before this new assessment was issued, their A through F grade was a B. This year, the scores are lower. The preliminary calculations give them a D. They just take the B. They take the higher one, and then next year we'll go back to uh, how it was normally calculated. So, Mm -hmm. basically, the data only helps you improve. It doesn't Mm -hmm. let you... um, Go down. So, it, it so, but if this school then got an A this year, like they actually just did well on this I step, they would get the A. But, so, but is, is it possible? Oh, go, go ahead. It only Steve. helps. Go ahead, Steve. Um, I think, Bob, what I heard you ask is, mm-hmm. how could a school improve its grade right. from what it had last year? And mm-hmm. I think it's conceivable, even with a lower passing rate on the test score, that the um, student growth part of the uh, of the score might allow uh, a score t- a school to improve or. In the case of high schools, the the other uh, indicators of performance might allow a school to improve even if its um, its uh, scores went down. Yeah, I think that's exactly what I was mm-hmm. was trying to get at the the growth portion of the test. Could Daniel or Claire, one of you, explain how that growth portion works? Is that calculated into it yet, Daniel, or is that starting the next eight, year? In the ATF scores, there there are bonuses growth and potential has, penalties for growth. Yeah, exactly. So there are bonuses if you show positive growth, and there and there are penalties if you have negative growth. Uh, one thing that it's important to note as well is this is our last year using the old accountability system that was developed under the previous administration. So. Uh, that's the way that it will work for the 2015 school year. Um, however, moving forward, it's going to we're going to move from a four-point scale to a hundred-point scale that only uh, 
treats that doesn't penalize for growth. So that's going. To, that's moving forward. We will be switching over to a model that I think schools are more excited about and uh, think will more accurately uh, reflect the type of growth that's happening within their within their schools to for kinda, the next year. For next year. Yeah. To kind of clarify that, just so people understand, the growth model means a kid. It, they just have to show growth. It doesn't mean they have to go from not passing to passing. It just has to show that they did better. And that's what the new accountability system is going to do and hopefully take away some of that. It, it would still prove that a school and a teacher are making strides, even if it's not reaching the passing benchmark. Mm-hmm. And that's always been, I mean, that's been for critics of the 8F mm-hmm. system and No Child Left Behind and a lot of these assessments, that's been a, a long uh, criticism and that schools can continue to get better and better and better, but their scores don't show it, right? Steve, you've covered this a long time. Yeah, I think there's a, that's always a, a real, um, a real uh, touchy point in, in terms of how schools are graded. And I think if you look at how Indiana schools have been graded, there's a real close correlation between uh, grades and, and uh, poverty rates. Uh, schools that get A's tend to, not exclusively, but often tend to be schools with low poverty. Schools that get D's and, and F's tend to be schools with high poverty. And, and so, uh, especially because the old system that we're still under uh, is heavily weighted to performance as opposed to growth, um, that's that's the situation that, that we've seen and people have, have shown that. Matt DiCarlo from the Schenker Institute has shown that really clearly. Um, I think with the switch to the new system, although there's still some questions about how that's going to be designed uh, and to what extent it's going to reflect growth, at least the promise is that it will be more of a growth-based system rather than a performance-based system. So, uh, the way the system has been set up um, in the past, from my understanding, is that if, if you did receive these failing scores for a certain number of times, then you could get intervention to to help figure out what's going wrong and bring your scores up. But what about – so that, that won't – matter for this year then. So if a school did drop by 30 points, maybe they need some sort of help, but they're not going to be, they won't be on anybody's radar this year to get that. So we're, so no. to get state intervention, you have to have an F six years in a row. So it's not just a one year thing. Um, and Daniel, jump in if I get anything wrong, but also a D puts you on a certain list. Every year that you have a D or F, you get certain like check-ins from the Department of Education, but it isn't until year six of an F that there's some sort of, someone's in your building, you have to come up with a plan of how to turn it around. I think actually that somebody might be in your building before you get to six years is my understanding that, that mm-hmm. uh, if you have several Fs that, that you're gonna hear from the state, people are gonna try be around trying to help you right. improve your scores and and work on things that you might do. Daniel will probably know this better than I do, but mm-hmm. but it's only in the sixth year, sixth consecutive year of F. We're now going forward in four consecutive years of F, starting next year, uh, or possibly starting this year. I'm not sure um, that uh, the state could, state board of education could actually take over the school, turn it over to a private operator, turn it over to a different entity, uh, that sort of thing, feasibly. Uh, that doesn't necessarily mean it's going to happen. That is correct. It's year six when a school becomes eligible for certain state board of education action and there's a variety of actions that they can take however however before that the department is working with schools uh, to make sure that that never happens superintendent strongly believes that uh, local control is best for schools and so obviously we want to make sure that no school gets to that level and so we have a division of outreach that is in place throughout the state and these are outreach coordinators uh, that live actually in the communities in which they work and so they work specifically with schools that are having difficulties and so they work on developing school improvement plans and they work on work with principals and teachers in ways that they can find uh ways that they can utilize data to that they have that they have internally to improve uh school performance as well. And so that's a proactive approach that the department takes because, again, we, our goal is to keep any school from reaching the point where it even becomes a question about state board intervention. Thank you. That's uh, Daniel Altman, who's the Executive Director of Communications for the Indiana Department of Education. And Daniel's going to be with us for another eight or nine minutes. So if you want to give us a call um, at uh, 812-855-0811 or 1-877-285-9348 or join the live chat at wfiu.org slash noon edition. Uh, we'll have Daniel with us. We also have Steve Hennefeld and Claire McInerney, two reporters who've covered, extensively covered education 
education. Steve, you wanted to say something? I wanted to ask Daniel while he's still on the phone uh, if he could comment on, on uh, House Bill 1395 uh, that was filed uh, fairly recently, I think, and I believe it's going to have a committee hearing next uh, Wednesday. Is Wednesday, that right? thank you. And uh, this, is, this is a bill that would, would call for rescoring the, uh, this year's, the, the 2015 ISTEP exam, and also would, uh, I believe, create a, a, a commissioner committee to uh, evaluate, take a look at, take a look at the uh, type of assessments Indiana should have going forward. Sure. So there's two different questions sort of in there, Steve. The first is with, with regards to the actual scoring for the 2015 ISTEP, and that's something that the department, uh, the department welcomes, you know, a review to ensure that every single uh, the, the, the test was scored properly. Uh, again test scores went down this year, and that was one of the things that we expected because the test itself was more rigorous and because it was based on more rigorous standards. Uh, we did just, we're still taking a look at 1395 and everything that's inside there. Um, one of the questions that comes up is, if you do a rescore, does it need to just be part one or does it need to be the entire test? I think it probably makes sense for it to be part one because that's the one that involves more written answers as opposed to multiple choice. Then another question that comes up is how do you pay for it? And if you take a look at the bill right now, the estimate is that it would be about eight to ten million dollars. Uh, as I'm sure you can imagine, that's not something that we just have sitting around here at the Department of Education. So it's the question of how it gets paid for is something that we uh, we want to work with the legislature to address. And then the second thing that you talked about was sort of forming a commission to uh, change the assessment system here in Indiana. As, a, as you guys all know, No Child Left Behind was recently reformed, and it gives states a lot more flexibility over the type of assessment that they give their students. And so now that we have federal permission to change our system, what the superintendent wants to do is work with the legislature to come up with ways to get the state system changed as well so that we can move away from these expensive, lengthy, pass-fail assessments that we've done for far too long and move to something that's shorter, simpler, more streamlined and gives actual and gives students and teachers information that helps them inform their education throughout the course of a year. So instead of doing one big test at the end of the year, you can actually have an assessment system that helps give teachers the information they need so that they can help your student move along throughout the course of a year as opposed to just taking one big pass-fail test at the end of the year. And so that's something that the superintendent thinks Indiana needs. We think it's a common sense and it's a bipartisan approach. And we're going to be, uh, the superintendent wants to work to be a part of that discussion moving forward. So Daniel, I have a question. Um... One thing we've heard before is schools in Indiana already use NWEA, which is a brand of test that does exactly what you just said. It tests uh, students throughout the year, but it's not um, the type of assessment that I, like ISTEP. Um, so we can't use that brand. So would we be creating, uh, if we go in this direction and everyone's on board, would we be creating a new new test to replace that that just takes you know chunks of information throughout the year? I mean, what, what have you guys been discussing at the DOE? So I know that there's been legislative uh, action with respect to wanting us to be able to use more of an off-the-test, or excuse me, off-the-shelf assessment, because that's something that wouldn't require full development. There is also the requirement that our assessment has to align with our standards. Right. So whether that means so whether that means we would have to do, for example, some sort of modified version of NWEA or anything else, so that it also aligns with our standards and meets federal approval, is. Uh, part of the conversation that we're having, and that's one of the things that I think we would look at in this, uh, or the superintendent wants to discuss when we're looking at ways to change our system, is how can we do this so that it moves to something that makes a lot more sense for our students in our classrooms? And that's going to be a big part of the conversation moving forward. And I know I'm a, a guest, but now I'm going into reporter mode. One thing that keeps coming up when I'm looking at this is if we totally revamp the test again and administer a new test to kids, are we going to be in the same situation next year where scores have dropped, they weren't expecting what was coming, and is this legislation going to come up again? Because right now these bills are only for one year. Well, 
So what you're talking about with respect to next year should not in, be an issue because we have a uh, that is going to be administered both this year and next. Okay. And so what it's and so what uh, we're really focused on is designing the system moving forward, looking sort of in a pros- prospective manner as opposed to uh, looking back on this. So uh, with respect, uh, so that's the first thing. Is we don't anticipate needing to do this next year. Uh, if we transition to something else, then I think we can also look at ways to setting a baseline with the current assessment so that we can uh, we, we can also adjust to that as we move forward because we won't necessarily we won't be changing our standards it would just be the way that we measure them and so that's a way that we can work to have more we can work to have more flexibility at the state level just uh, again just to, trying to clarify um, for myself and maybe some others uh, on um, on your website uh, superintendent Ritz talks about recommending action to ensure that each school's accountability grade is determined by meaningful measures and not just by test scores. So what would these meaningful measures be if they're not some sort of an assessment of a test? Well, so there's different ways that you can do that. For example, when you're talking about high schools, you can take a look at multiple measures uh, that include graduation rates and that include college and career readiness. Uh, You can also take a look at SAT or ACT. So there are di- there are different measures than that we can look at beyond simply ISTEP. And so the, and so those are the sorts of things that uh, and just I mean and again just doing high school sort of as a sure. as an example. But those are the sorts of things that we want to look for. You can take, also take a look at school culture and climate. There's uh, lots of different ways that you can take a look at what's happening in a school. And we think obviously what happens in a school is a lot more than just the result of a standardized test. Well, There's and great work that happens in our schools every single day with, uh, with teachers and students and administrators, and there's incredible things that are happening every single day. But the, uh, a simple pass-fail standardized test I don't think is the ultimate measure of that. And that was roped into the Every Student Succeeds Act, which is what the No Child Left Behind rewrite is called. Um, they, they, out, they outline that you can do student portfolios, um, things like that that aren't testing, and that is now in the federal law that states can play around with. So it isn't, they, they rewrote that so it isn't just a standardized test. Uh, what what impact is all of the discussion that's happening at the legislature going to have in the classroom as students are preparing here to start the testing cycle again really soon? Well, I think it will. I, I think it's provided a little bit of. Uh, I, I guess it's just helped to calm things down a little bit uh, now that there's been others buying into what the superintendent's been saying for a year and a half. And so I think that's helped a little bit as we move forward. I, I do think it's a little bit regrettable that it's taken this long because if we'd, if we'd all uh, got on board with this about a year and a half ago, then I think we could have avoided a lot of the consternation that schools, are, that schools have felt with regards to last year's ISTEP and uh, moving forward. Uh, but so I think that's step one is that it has provided a little bit of clarity, and I think that's welcome for the field. Uh, in addition, obviously, for this coming year, it won't be our first year with the new standards or the more rigorous test. And so I think that generally helps uh, schools both from an administrative standpoint but then also from a results standpoint as well. And Daniel, last question um, before we let you go. Anything else in this session that we should be looking for in terms of uh, education policy? Oh, absolutely. Uh, so the name, name one or two. focused on moving beyond <laughs> ISTEP, and that's a big priority for her, and so that's one of the things she wants to work on. Another thing that she wants to do is take a look at taking steps to stop the teacher shortage that we've been experiencing in Indiana. And so the teacher uh, superintendent put together a blue ribbon commission that was focused on recruiting and retaining excellent educators. And it was a group of about 49 people from throughout the state uh, that she worked with. And so they just released their report yesterday. It talks about steps that can be taken at the local level as far as giving more local control of schools, but also at the state level from a policy perspective to, to make it easier for schools to uh, to keep their teachers. And so that's going to be legislation that she's going to be pushing forward as well, because obviously uh, we, she believes that every single student deserves to have excellent educators in their school, and so that's something she's going to be pushing for. All right, Daniel. Hey, thanks a lot for joining us today. We really appreciate it. Thanks for having me, guys. Good afternoon. All right. That was Daniel Altman, the Executive Director of Communications for the Indiana Department of Education. Claire McInerney, a reporter with State Impact Indiana, and Steve Hunefeld, a blogger and former education reporter, sticking with Sarah Whitmire and I for the second half of the program. You're listening to Noon Edition. We'll be right back.
This is Noon Edition on WFIU. Production support comes from Smithville Fiber, online at smithville.com, and IU School of Public Health Bloomington, online at publichealth.indiana.edu. WFIU News covers South Central Indiana and the state each day. You can read news throughout the day as it's posted on our website at wfiunews.org. And you can pick up a digest of all the top stories. It's like a newspaper delivered to your inbox each weekday afternoon. It's a free and easy way to stay on top of not only the headlines, but also the in-depth audio, video, and print news stories you can't get anywhere else. Subscribe right now at wfiunews.org. Welcome back to Noon Edition. I'm Bob Zaltzberg from the Herald Times, along with Sarah Whitmire from WFIU and WTIU. We are talking about uh, education today. We just had Daniel Altman on from the Indiana Department of Education. We had invited a few legislators. They were not available. Senator Luke Kinley, Representative Tony Cook, Senator Ryan Mishler, all were invited to come, and they weren't available. It's a very busy time up there for them, I know. So uh, we have Claire McInerney and Steve in the Steve Hennefeld in the studio with us. We're going to really try to go over a lot of the things that we talked about with Daniel Altman and some other issues about education in the second half of the show. If you want to join our conversation, 812-855-0811 in Bloomington, 1-877-285-9348 outside of the local area. You can join the live chat at wfiu.org slash noon edition. Sarah, what did you learn then? Uh, well, I, I, because I, I'm fortunate enough to have Claire sitting very close to me, I've, I've learned a lot about education the past few years. Um, I, I guess I understand how the legislation isn't going to is going to keep these poor grades from hurting schools or hurting teachers this year. And I am curious, though, because prior to the start of the session, we did hear all of this talk, and even Brian Bosma, the House Speaker, saying we need to look for a, a cheaper, faster alternative to the I-STEP. And you all were talking about how something is scheduled to go to committee next week. But I'm just wondering if we can even speculate how likely is that to gain traction this year when there are so many other big issues? Are they just going to kind of wipe their hands and say, phew, I steps over? So one thing, and the first day of the session, uh, House Minority Leader Scott Pilath had his chance to get up and speak. Um, and like you said, this is a bipartisan consensus. They want to get rid of I-STEP. And everyone has said the brand, quote, the quote brand of I-STEP is broken. And so it almost seems like there is so much negativity around I-STEP, they want to get a new test with a new name. And I think that's a big part of it. Um, they don't want to tell schools and kids and families, like, your kids are taking I-STEP again because there's been so much negativity around it. And that's why everyone is on board to creating a new test and calling it something different. Um, this year is a short legislative session. It ends in March, and it's not a budget session. So everyone has said, superintendent said last week, House Speaker Brian Bosma, this is the year to get on board, but it isn't the year to draft the legislation, to look for, look for vendors. We have two years um, under Pearson, a testing company, for the next two years. So kids are going to take I-STEP for two more years. So Superintendent Ritz said last week at a or earlier this week at a press conference, she wants to spend the next two years under this contract to find the right test, take the time to develop it, have a group of people look at it. And so that's kind of what's on the table in this session is maybe legislation that would create a panel to go forward. Mm -hmm. Now, Governor uh, Pence said in his state of the state, and he's been saying pretty consistently, education is one of his priorities. Are there other bills besides this I-STEP issue that he's going to be pushing? And, you know, we've had a lot of discussion since he's been governor about, you know, private schools and who gets funding and, you know, how the, how the money is, is flowing. I mean, what's going to happen in this session? Steve, you've been, you've been paying attention here, I'm sure. I've been trying to from a distance. It's, it's, a, it's sort of hard to know exactly what might move and what might not. There's so much attention that's been given in the early weeks of the session to these uh, I-STEP bills that, that the other uh, bills haven't gotten that much attention. The other issues involved in education haven't gotten gotten that much attention. I have not seen any sort of um, uh, stealth bills that that uh, or stealth provisions. Um, Claire might correct me on that, but define, define what you mean. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good question. <laughs> uh, you know, something a bill that would uh, include something that might catch yeah. people by surprise. Uh, um, 
um, in terms of, uh, and, and, and it's not a budget year, so typically we would not see much in the way of changes in, in school funding, uh, in the way of changes in, in uh, the funding for the voucher program or for charter schools. I haven't seen any real charter school bills that, that have been filed yet, have you? There are some, but a lot of them are pretty technical cleaning up language. There isn't anything huge. Um, one thing, and Daniel mentioned this right before he got off the phone, we will definitely see, even if it's conversations about the teacher shortage mm-hmm. and things around that. You know, one bill that started in the House is to create a scholarship program. So if a Indiana high school student attends an Indiana university, they can get $7,500 a year in tuition if they are an education major and commit to teaching in the state for five years after graduating college. And that is around the statistic that most new teachers leave after five years. And so they're hoping if they can get them to year five, they'll stick around um, and incentivize it with tuition. I think the entire uh, teacher shortage issue is a really interesting discussion, an interesting conversation. People tend to see it from one side or the other, um, you know, pe- some people see it as, as a matter of, of um, uh, we need to bring more uh, talented people or more promising people into the uh, pipeline, and we can either do that with money, with incentives, with higher pay, or maybe we can do it by lowering the bar and saying that people can be teachers who don't necessarily have an education degree uh, and that sort of thing. And on the other hand, you have people who say the problem isn't that we're not getting enough people coming into the profession, but that we're getting too many people not staying in. And uh, some of those people would say the problem is that it's not as much fun, it's not not as rewarding to be a teacher when you uh, have to be looking over your shoulder at, at uh, in terms of state accountability and worried about testing as, and so on and so forth. So there are really different uh, viewpoints that are brought to, brought to that issue. And it's, it's a big gap and really hard to, to bridge. I think something like a scholarship program that that Claire mentioned uh, would would have bipartisan support, but a lot of steps that people might take are going to be uh, uh, fairly partisan. As you're talking about some of these issues and problems leading to the teacher shortage, it sounds like part of what you're saying is that the the problems with the I step might be playing into that. Mm-hmm. Well, and that's what the federal government was trying to address with the No Child Left Behind rewrite as well, because Indiana is not alone in that. That teachers feel testing is dominating their their careers and it, too many stakes. Um, and so that was something they were trying to alleviate is just teach. If you love teaching, let's try and leave room for that and not so much on these, you know, testing um, testing standards and, be- and benchmarks. There are a few bills about teacher pay, increasing base salaries and whatnot to make it more attractive and to make it worthwhile to put in all this work. Um, so we, yeah, we there, there are some bills concerning that that, you know, we'll see where they go, but, you know, it's not a budget year, so it's not like they're allocating funds toward that, but putting that groundwork mm-hmm. down. On, on the general topic of, or sort of the loosely on the topic of teacher pay, we referred to, we made, made some talk uh, earlier about House Bill uh, 1003, I believe it is, that that uh, addresses teacher evaluations. And, and as, as I read that bill, I'm not 100 percent sure, uh, it also addresses the what's required for uh, t- teachers to receive teacher bonuses. There are performance-based bonuses that go to teachers who teach at schools where a certain percentage of the students pass I-STEP or where a st- certain percentage of the students, if it's a high school, graduate from high school. And that's an area where there could have been some significant change as a result of the lower I-STEP scores uh, this year where teachers, certain school, teachers in certain schools would have been eligible for the bonuses in the past and would not be this year. And, and that uh, bill, as I read it, attempts to fix that and say that those teachers would still be eligible even if their I-STEP passing rates go down. And, and this is you know where I mentioned this before, but are, are there any provisions for bonuses for teachers who teach in classrooms or in in schools that have improved their their scores. Yeah, uh, Representative Bob Baining, who is the chair of the House Education Committee, amended it. So, if there is, I step scores can only help you in terms of teacher evaluations. So, if your students did poorly, they just won't be factored into the evaluation. If they did well, then it it helps you. So he made sure that if there was growth and really good scores, that it could be factored in to help you. So that is part of it now, as it stands. It's part of the teacher evaluation piece, but is it part yeah. of the who qualifies for bonuses piece? And not, you know, because you have to be a, 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 an effective or highly effective teacher to qualify, 
but you also have to teach at a certain school that qualifies for bonuses, if I understand it correctly. I'm not sure about that, that okay. one, so well, I don't want to we, answer. We're going to go on to another topic because we have a phone <laughs> call from, from DJ. DJ from Bloomington, go ahead. Hey, thanks. I thank you. I'm enjoying the discussion. I'd like to ask a, a, one of you or any, anyone on the panel to provide a quick answer for me, uh, a, an overview of who Pearson uh, is, and that is, what what do they do in, in addition to maybe administering tests? Are they in the textbooks? Where are they based? And are they are they an Indiana company? Or are they statewide? Can I ask that and then maybe follow up real quickly? No, that's a great question. So Pearson is a testing company. I'm not sure where they are based. That's a good question. London, um, but I they think. what? London, I think. Yeah, it's, but they they do testing all over the world. Um, and we have signed a con- Indiana has signed a contract with them to uh, create the technology and uh, the physical test, uh, administer it, and score it. And so that is what these testing companies do. So when you hear about issues with scoring or um, you know rescoring, that is on the testing company. Currently, uh, Indiana uses CTB, and we did not renew our contract with them. So Pearson starts as our vendor in March of this year when the 2016 ISTEP is administered. And the other part of the question is, yeah, there are in, in a lot of uh, other uh, areas of kind of educational business, including textbook publishing and so on. Mm-hmm. Okay, great. Well, I was, the reason I ask is because I'm trying to get a feel for uh, some of the private entities that enter into what I, as a citizen, would like to see as an entirely public endeavor, which is the education of our children. And if that sounds a little defensive, I we don't need to point much farther back than our former governor and, and Tony Bennett to get a pretty clear idea of how people envision um, the, the privatization and then ultimately profiting from our education system. And I think it's instructive to look at things like this that happen as, for good or for ill, an example of what may happen with uh, a private company that indeed is invested in this and that is going to have consequences in some ways, but I would argue is not near as invested as the school teachers who may suffer the consequences of losing work because of it or schools losing funding because of it. And uh, I think it's ironic that some of those down the line here, some of those same forces that want to privatize schools are going to hold up something like this as uh, the ISTEP tests as yet another failure of public education and maybe if the marketplace can move in and sort this out those won't be things that are said in the public debate but they'll be said behind closed doors i guarantee you and uh as a citizen i find it very troubling that we're willing to maybe turn some of those uh endeavors as a society that we do over to a private corporation so that's my thought and i appreciate the discussion thank you dj and that, that's a reality of yeah. testing and education as a, a state and a legislature and a Department of Education can take it all to a certain point, but everyone has these vendors yeah, administering it. Interesting connection DJ mm-hmm. made, though, between, you know, that mm-hmm. private companies are implementing these tests, but people will use it against public education. So mm-hmm. interesting. All right. Our phone numbers again, 855 or 812-855-0811 in Bloomington, 1-877-285-9348 outside of the local area. And you can also join the live chat at wfiu.org slash noon edition. And we all know that iStuff has been plagued with all these problems with, with scoring, with the computers crashing. And with Pearson taking over, what can we, what do we know about their track record so far, is that going to help us moving forward in the next two years when we're still using the ISTEP? Um, I I can't speak too knowledgeably and too in-depth about that. I do know they have um, an executive based in Indianapolis who is always at the State House who testified this summer in front of a study committee uh, to kind of hear from legislators about what were the issues with CTB, um, what they've done in other states with technology-enhanced questions, um, which is where we had some uh, tech issues this year in the administration, students sitting down to a computer, not being able to answer a question, not being able to log on, things like that. And so Pearson is aware of why we did not renew our contract with CTB. A lot of it was with these tech issues, um, but we'll see. It, it Again, it's not in the hands of anyone in the state. They work with these companies um, and they are working with Pearson, but um, we'll see. I don't really have the answer to how they've done in other states. 
Yeah, they've certainly uh, come under uh, come under criticism in other states for mm-hmm. uh, various aspects of testing performance and 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 so on. So you know, there's a handful of um, these companies to do this. There aren't a lot of them, and and they each one brings different things to the table. I think Pearson's bid for iStep uh, relies fairly heavily on involving some Indiana-based subcontractors. Uh, and that tells you right there that there's a lot of people involved and a lot of uh, a fair amount of money involved. So, so it, it is a lucrative business. I want to uh, ask another question about uh, teacher shortage, but first I, I do want to sort of encourage our listeners if you want to to get in on the conversation. There are a lot of things about public education, and Steve Hennefeld and Claire McInerney are certainly experts as reporters who are keeping a very close eye on it. There are a lot of things about um, you know in in just our local community, the MCCSC that there's going to be a new, another referendum, talk about school funding. There are lots of issues we could go into if you want to, to give us a call. I want to go back to the teacher shortage issue. You know, we talked a little bit about, about money and financial, financial incentives because teachers' pay has always been sort of an issue. The MCCSC did try to approach that last year by, by signing a contract that gave very large raises comparatively. Um, but yet, you know, I, I've done a lot of studying on motivation, and motivation in the job place often comes down to things like autonomy and competence and purpose. And how much money would it take to offset the fact that teachers, and I guess, Steve, I'm going to ask you first as a blogger who can sort of be a little more opinionated maybe than Claire as a reporter, but, you know, when you think about what teachers have been facing in terms of they've lost a lot of autonomy. You know, what's the purpose in going in and teaching to a test rather than being able to, to sort of teach the way they want to teach? You know, how, how can teaching, the teaching profession, I mean, what are some ways that you think, or am I, am I going down the right track and to say that the teaching profession has lost a lot of these sort of motivators that they used to have um, as they try to, to meet a lot of other standards and a lot of things that people in government uh, the legislature, federal government say they need to do? Well, um, that's a real uh, kind of complicated uh, question. <laughs> it's, a, it's a topic, and I guess. It's, it's, a, not, it's so a much topic. a question. Yeah, yeah I think that, uh, you know, I think that without question, it's a new world uh, for uh, teachers. And I think um, when I step back and, and look at the teaching profession, um, I think that, uh, you know, there used to be sort of the social contract that you could become a teacher and you would have make a decent living, make a fairly good living. You wouldn't make a lot of money, but you would have job security, and you would have um, a fair amount of aut- autonomy in, ter- in your own classroom, for good or for ill. And in some ways, that made it a very lonely profession. People didn't have a lot of uh, uh, contacts, even necessarily with fellow teachers. Uh, didn't have a lot of opportunities to feel like they were they were getting better at what they did. But but you know, it was sort of part of the social contract that that was the way it was going to be. Well, that's pretty much gone, I would say. At least, um, again, not a teacher, but that's my perception from being outside and from observing it. Uh, it's, it's really understood that there's going to be high expectations that uh, parents and the public and legislators will have um, certain demands that they're going to place on teachers. And I think we're in a time when that's uh, still very, very um, confused and mixed up. I think people may um, may have uh, thought very simplistically that they could use these same tests that they use to evaluate schools, to evaluate students, to, and also use them to evaluate teachers. I think there's a lot, been a lot of questions raised about that. Uh, I think a lot of the ways that maybe uh, people have somewhat simplistically thought about, here's how we can um, incentivize better teaching and, and, and uh, either with money or with uh, school autonomy or great leaders or whatever the buzzword of the day is, um, or probably haven't always panned out the way that people thought they would. It's a very, very complex topic, but I do think that, that uh, uh, we will not be going back to the day when, when you went to the education school, got your job, and, and clocked your 30 years and, and didn't have to worry about what people were thinking about it. Let me follow up in this way. So where do PLCs, professional learning communities, sort of fit into this? I mean, do they help to get bring teachers together? Uh, you know, that's one thing the MCCSC has, has tried to do a great deal of. I think that's a, that's a question for teachers, and I think some teachers and in some schools uh, would be very positive about that and would say, yeah, this has really made a, a difference in my teaching. We've certainly heard that at some MCCSC, MCCSC school board presentations. 
uh, where teachers talked about have talked about how uh, having these regular structured organized meetings with other teachers has really changed their uh, their approach to their profession allowed them to learn new things uh, feel more positive and more effective about what they do but I think it, it varies uh, probably depending on on how it's implemented uh, uh, and and uh, and individual teachers some people take more to that some people are much more comfortable um, you know and 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 certainly po- possibly rightly so uh, making their own decisions about what they should do in the classroom and, and don't feel like it feel like it oh it's another meeting mm-hmm. um, just from a things I've observed this year, I'm doing a project where I'm following three brand new teachers, and I chose them specifically um, because they're based in very different schools. So we have urban, suburban, rural. And one thing I have noticed as they've gone through their year is their schools, the specific schools they're at, do a lot to try and envelope them into the community, give them mentors, um, because they recognize that it's a tough, a tougher job now than it used to be. There's a lot of reporting. That's something I've heard from these three when I ask, you know, what's different? What weren't you expecting? And they all say, all the paperwork, all, all of this, all of that. The lesson plans and the grading and the emailing with parents is done by this time, but then it's just all this paperwork and looking through NWA scores and things like that. And so they do pair them with teachers. And I think this is happening a lot and can probably happen more to support new teachers, but um, pairing them with other teachers or more experienced teachers or maybe even an administrator mm-hmm. to guide them through that part of it. Because you don't learn that at, you know, in college when you're studying to be a teacher. Those are kind of kind of things that come up along the way. So Claire, I wanted to ask, based on the, that series that you've been doing in, in schools with first-year teachers, do you have any uh, thoughts or any insights in terms of what we need to be doing to attract more people like this into teaching and retain them in teaching. You know, I this we were kind of talking before this a story that aired this week in that series was a kind of a check-in during winter break with these teachers and I asked them those questions of what were you in expect what were you not expecting blah, blah blah and I asked uh one of them and she said in in college they really prepared me for there's pressure around I step. So, you know, here's how you can deal with it and prepare your kids well and blah, blah, blah. She goes, and they, they never told me that I would love the kids so much and that I would enjoy it. And she's like, and I was so scared that then the bad days are bad, but when you go home, you're like, I kind of made a difference today. Um, and I think that's a hard balance because, you know, I, I haven't been an educator, but I think you want to prepare the most for those things. Um, but something will always fall through the cracks. But, you know, one thing I found from talking to them is the support um, has been crucial. One of the teachers has a teaching partner, and he always says, I could not get through it without her. Um, they all have talked about how they have very involved principals, and I have found that to be a common thread, not just necessarily other teachers, but principals really stepping in and saying, do you need help writing a lesson? Do you need help doing this? And they have all said that is when it really clicks with them. And so I wonder if maybe more administrative support, but that's just based on talking to these three, not anything scientific, but from talking to them. Well, I know we weren't planning on turning this into a promo for your yeah, I know. series. <laughs> However, I, but but it just struck me again. I, I remember hearing the, the young man that was in your report this morning talking about, you know, those some day that he tried to teach some mathematical concept and he said he tried every way possible and went home at night and thought oh my gosh I didn't get to those kids today you know it, it again it shows you know what you're talking about about the connection that a good young teacher will make to students so so devil's advocate yeah. is an I step a measure of that mm-hmm. um, if you if your kids do well on the I step can't you look at that and say here is quantitative proof that I got through to these kids I think it's important to have some kind of measure of that. I mean, not for the teachers necessarily, but for uh, for those of us on the outside and for the public. And, and I think the question is not do you do it, but do you do it right? And uh, there was so much evidence this year that we didn't do it right, that the tests were, the scores were very slow in coming, uh, the change in, in standards, the high, the different expectations, the different cut scores, the confusion about that, the fact that it's so late and the results are so late in coming. Uh, has hurt the credibility of the test, and I think that's unfortunate. I have to ask, we heard Daniel Altman saying a lot that Superintendent Ritz has been urging for a year and a half that we get out in front of this, and um, I couldn't help but wonder, is this an indication that Superintendent Ritz and legislators are now working together on solutions, or was that more of an indication of they're still not saying eye to eye, and I've been telling you this for a long time? (laughs) I think it was a little bit of both, because uh, he is correct. I mean, I had reported many stories that she was laying out plans of 
could we do this? These scores are going to be low. And, it, you know, I think maybe they were waiting to see how bad it would be. And that's why we're seeing this now. But they are on the same page with a lot of things this session in terms of education policy, whether it's retaining, attracting teachers, going forward with a new assessment. So as someone who's covered a lot of the uh, back and forth intention, it's promising to see them all on the same page with those things. And also, I think it's worth saying that, and maybe you guys have a different opinion, but but a more rigorous test is not a not necessarily a worse test. No. It's just more rigorous. And, I use this example yeah. a lot. Um, no one disputes that we should test. Um, I use this example. I was in a classroom once, and there was a board that said, what's your goal for the semester in elementary school? Most of the kids had written they had a specific score they wanted to get on the I-STEP. When I look back to when I was a kid um, and took the I-STEP, or I didn't take the I-STEP, but when I took standardized assessments, I had no idea what passing was. And I think that's the culture around testing is we knew we had to take it. We knew it was important, but it was a week where we just took the test. We had a special snack, and then the next week we went back to school. So I think it's we we need to test and we need to measure. It's what those stakes associated with it are. And that's the discussion. Steve, last word? You want to live it with Claire. <laughs> I, I can say one more thing uh, back to why uh, this uh, issue has gotten so much attention now. Uh, when the scores came in. This is an election year, and elections focus politicians' attention wonderfully. Mm -hmm. And superintendent rights will be running for re-election as well. And a lot of legislators in the yeah, governor, right. yeah. And the governor. Mm -hmm. All right. We want to talk, I want to thank our, our guests today. It was a great conversation. I want to thank Claire McInerney and Steve Hennefeld. For producer J.D. Gray, engineer Mike Pashkash, and my co-host Sarah Whitmire, I'm Bob Salzberg. Thanks for listening. Noon Edition is a production of WFIU and the Herald Times. A podcast of this and other WFIU programs is available at WFIU.org. Production support comes from School of Public Health Bloomington. Public Health Reimagined, addressing 21st century health challenges with a multidisciplinary approach to disease prevention, health promotion, and enhancing quality of life. publichealth.indiana.edu and Smithville Fiber, the Gigacity Company. Fiber Internet, HD, and digital IPTV in Southern Indiana. More information at smithville.com. <laughs>